Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, creamy, airy, and aromatic, the $5 strawberry from Japan is doubly sweet. Home bakers made sourdough bread the it food during the pandemic. Now those homebound hobbyists have turned their doughy devotion into cupcakes for cash, with micro bakeries popping up all over social media. And welcome to the world of wine proxies, beverages that look, feel, and taste like wine, except they're not. Plus, California may have the nation's most storied wine trails, but Massachusetts is home to a variety of vineyards and wineries, producing everything from heirloom New England apple cider to champagne-like sparklers. Our food and wine experts are here with the latest trends. Joining me remotely, Jonathan Alsop, founder and executive director of the Boston Wine School and author of The Wine Lover's Devotional. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, Callie. And Amy Traverso, senior food editor at Yankee Magazine, co-host of GBH's Weekends with Yankee, and author of The Apple Lover's Cookbook. Welcome, Amy. Hi, Kelly. I want to jump right in with you, Amy, about this $5 strawberry. I guess it's been around a couple of years, but it's uh, everybody's all into it now. I guess people have a lot of money. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like the, 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 you know, beginning of the fall of the Roman Empire here with the $5 strawberries. Before you respond, let's listen to Hiroki Koga, founder of Oishi Farm, on how his growers cultivate the omakase strawberry. We have over um, 20 different environments to test different conditions to grow our plants, which is really hard to do outside because you can't really control, you know, when the sun comes out or how hot it gets during the day. Whereas in our controlled environment rooms, we can control literally every aspect of the environment. So I think what I want to know is, have you had one and are they that good? I have not managed to get my hands on one. Right now, they're only available in New York. And because of the pandemic, I haven't been going to New York. However, that is on, way up on my list of trips and now that I'm fully vaccinated. So I'm going to go down and try one and I'm going to get back to you. But but they're actually only, they will be available in June, but you know they have a growing season. So we're in a little bit of a lull. They will be back in June. Uh, you can find out online, uh, Oishi Berry. You can find out when and where the fruit will be available. And, you know, I, I, there's a part of me that just can appreciate the level of, of care that goes into, you know, how can we produce the best strawberry in the whole world? I kind of like the nerdiness of that. But, of course, the $5 price tag is a little nuts. Do we think that's going to drop, at, you know, as it gets more popular? Or? I I would think, yeah, because I mean, the costs are obviously, you know, there's it's a lot of it's a lot of startup costs of building the facility and getting the temperature controls right and all the all the experimentation. Um, once they've got a system going and can expand, then of course the the price goes down. Well, I guess uh, when I start having a dinner party, I'll have one and split it. Between. One berry <laughs> per person. <laughs> We saw in China this tradition of these perfect, perfect fruits that are gift fruits. Mm, yes. You know, not just the regular fruits that are in the market, but something that's been 
you know, this melon that's constantly turned on its leaf so it's perfectly round and... And apples um, the size of volleyballs. Um, you know, that, that are more like, you know, that in some ways are not even meant to be eaten, but are just mm. meant to be adored. Mm. Well, we'll see. All right. Well, if you're having a $5 strawberry, Jonathan, you might as well drink some wine that doesn't make you drunk so you can fully appreciate. <laughs> so there is a where, you know, this is a part of a trend, these wine proxies, as they're called, um, that seems to follow, as we have discussed here in this segment before, the non-alcoholic beer and just a whole movement toward people who are looking for very interesting drinks, sometimes even called cocktails without the alcohol. So wine proxies, they say it doesn't taste like you would expect some wines to taste, but it's really good. Well, this notion of wine proxies, this notion of alcohol-free mocktails, this is part of a larger trend of more people drinking uh, and more people drinking at home. You have a larger audience drinking at home. You've got a larger audience trying to drink less at home. They're they're natural byproducts of each other. And this alcohol-free and reduced alcohol component is just a really booming part of the market. And these wine proxies, the principal one is um, from a, I want to call them a winery. They're called uh, Acid League, and they're called proxies, wine but not. They look like wine. They feel like wine. They have the same texture as wine. They have some of the same aromas that, that wine has. Their names are you know, not named after grapes. Of course, they're not made from grapes. Uh, number 15, Velvet. That's a red wine that they compare to Petite Syrah. And number 13, Pyrazine, which sounds a little flammable uh, to me but that's kind of a Sauvignon Blanc type white zippy wine. Um, I like this to some degree because it's not just wine that they've centrifuged the alcohol out of and said, hey, here, drink drink what's left. You know, this is a thing that started out alcohol-free and it's its own concept. So that makes it possible for them um, to do something with it. But um, as you say, it is part of a much larger trend of also drinking less, which is running in parallel with the trend of drinking more. Which is interesting, given that we're now in a big conversation right now uh, as we transition out of quarantine living in Massachusetts and in other places. Um, You sent us some information about California being closer to making legislation so that the outdoor drinking, the the outside cocktails, the mixed cocktails, delivery and all of that that we've enjoyed here in Massachusetts during the quarantine to help the restaurants um, will go away, has has an end point. But there is a lot of discussion, heated discussion now in the legislature to extend it for two years. um, And it's being opposed by it appears, uh, lobbyists from the liquor stores, though I, I am, as I understand from the legislator who is uh, promoting this extension, that not all uh, liquor stores are opposed to it. But this is an interesting thing. Um, you know, I think it would be great. It would turn out to be an interesting experiment that I didn't think I would enjoy receiving a mixed cocktail at home. But it was fabulous, got to say. You didn't know you needed it. <laughs> or wanted it, or wanted it to be an option until it was. And now we're saying, you know, before before restaurants were selling wine retail and before restaurants were selling cocktails to go, you know, that was an arrestable offense if you did that. 
as a restaurant. I mean, you, we're we're talking like that's like uh, that's like felony style, lose your license, lose your restaurant stuff. And in one day, it became totally okay. And and I think we're saying what what can we hang on to here in the term of reforms that came about that we really want to extend and and more because obviously these things that we thought were utterly undoable and 100% impossible apparently are not. Well, it's a it's a boon for restaurants as, you know, Amy and and we've discussed here on this show how much they were hurt during this time. Um but there, you know, there are some some negatives that come with it. There was concern during the quarantine that people were doing too much drinking because there was actually a lot of purchasing of alcohol and then this way some are concerned that uh Underage people will use third-party delivery services to get their hands on um, some alcohol that they should not have access to because it'll be easier uh, through that system. So there's there's more discussion, but Amy, um, this is a total change um, in terms of culture, restaurant culture, um, which yes. is, has been helpful during the quarantine. Yeah, I mean, um, alcohol sales obviously are a huge part of a restaurant's bottom line, and to wipe that out would have been a devastating loss to restaurants. So, um, you know, the profit margin on uh, wine and and cocktails is much higher than on food. So it's, I I understand the concern and I also am glad that at least for now, you know, this was allowed to happen. Um, I think, you know, as people start dining out in restaurants again, it, it won't be as pressing an issue, but um, I can understand why, uh, you know, restaurateurs are trying to keep that particular exception going. And, you know, maybe uh, some of these people who were baking all day long during the quarantine were ordering in their cocktails because they didn't have time to go out uh, to pick pick them up. <laughs> um, and that's now become a huge thing. These micro bakeries from all the folks that were baking, 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 baking have now turned and made businesses, Amy. And Hmm. one is in Somerville called uh, La Flaneteria, doing very well. Yeah, it's a a woman named Vanessa Yip, who um, is like an expert flan maker. And, you know, she so she does these gorgeous flan slices, really fun variations. She knows her audience. She, you know, she does classic stuff, but she'll also do like Fruity Pebbles flavored flan and Butterfinger flan and just a real delicious mashups. Um, And so she's selling um, you, you really just need to follow these folks on Instagram and, uh, you know, you can, cause they, they move around, you know, they'll sell like, I know Vanessa has, has sold through Bow Market in Somerville, which is a fabulous incubator slash, you know, market and uh, food court in Somerville and Union Square. Um, other bakers are, you know, selling, you can go to their Instagram or their Facebook page and see what, what they're making that week and place an order. Um, there's a place called Lemon and Salt Baking uh, on the North Shore. Sarah Powers is making these decadent cakes and pastries and pies. Um, out in Western Mass, Beatrice Cottage Bakery is doing incredible sourdoughs that they are delivering throughout the Pioneer Valley. It's, you know, some of these folks are people who were in the restaurant industry who were laid off and they're, so they're just making money on the side doing this. Some of them are, you know, passionate hobbyists who've decided to turn it into a business and it's, it's a chance for them to test out a concept, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting to think that Tate, which, you know, is now a, a chain in the Boston area really started out as a 
home cottage oh, bakery like these. Yeah, and she was selling at farmers markets. Oh. I remember uh, seeing her stuff at the Copley Farmers Market, and then you know it became what it is. So this these all may turn into much bigger operations. Hey, boy, I, I am impressed with people who have that kind of skill and then have some salesmanship about them. I, you know, yay. There's a lot more variety, I think, it, what it says for all of us to, to sample anyway. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and here with me is Jonathan Alsup of the Boston Wine School and Amy Traverso of Yankee Magazine and GBH's Weekends with Yankee. Um, Amy, I really uh, want to get your uh, take on Netflix's new limited series called High on the Hog. It's based on Jessica Harris, who's a food culturist, uh, black food culturist to be specific. Um, High on the Hog was one of her books, and they're now doing a series looking at it. Let's first uh, listen to the teaser for the series. We call our food soul food. Cheers. This type of food, you can feel when you eat it. Ah. The truth is, a lot of American food has its roots in African-American food, traditions, and ingenuity. So what do you think? I cannot wait to watch this show. I feel like this show is something every every American who says they're interested in food should watch because it's so important on so many levels, but there's such a an underrepresented history of contributions of African Americans to and and other Black folks to you know cooking in America, you know from spices from West Indian foods, but but specifically tracing the line from African foods how they were preserved. And you know how they're still reflected in American cuisine. I mean, so many stuff that's been sort of, you know, I think particularly the issue of a lot of Black foods are kind of um, described under the Southern foods banner and not really given their due as having origins in the Black community. But you know, and also just I think a lot of this will will make. American food makes sense to people. So there's the untold story piece of it or the undertold story piece of it. And then there's, you know, just the way it'll make you appreciate the foods that we consider, you know, our American traditional foods. Well, the series is called officially High on the Hog, How African-American Cuisine Transformed America. It's on Netflix. And again, Jessica Harris is local, to be clear. Uh, She lives on the vineyard when she's not traveling around the world. And she has a series of books, which people should check out, which are fabulous. And this is based on one of them called High on the Hog. And the host, Stephen Satterfield, he's a chef and he is, I mean, I've only seen obviously the trailer, but um, he not only, he's a really magnetic presence in the trailer and he got a fabulous review in the Times as sort of, you know, somebody who you may not have heard of before, but who has potential to be sort of an Anthony Bourdain type, uh, you know, media personality. I'm glad you mentioned that because he actually has a very popular podcast and a magazine that he started called, I think the podcast may also be called Whetstone, and people are raving about that. So I'll be looking forward to seeing him as well. Um, Something other people uh, may not know about also, Jonathan, is that Massachusetts, we hear about California, we even hear about upstate New York, but Massachusetts is a lot of hidden vineyards and wineries that don't get any due or people just don't know about. Callie, this is a conversation that I personally, and I think we have been having for almost 30 years, which is, you know, there's awesome vineyards and wineries that are an easy drive from Boston 
and people cannot believe it. And when I first started writing about wine a hundred years ago, these were the vineyards and wineries that I visited first. And, you know, the New Year's resolution, look, I'm going to be honest, didn't work out so great. So instead, I think what I'm going to make is a summer resolution to revisit some of these wineries. I'm going to get out to Truro on Cape Cod. Um, in addition to wine, they also do awesome rum and other spirits. Uh, Westport Rivers down. Love it. Um, Ooh, love it. Fa- love it. Fantastic, <laughs> physically beautiful site. Awesome champagne style, sparkling wine. That is just A. Plus. And Balderdash Cellars, which is out in Western Mass, which is a new vineyard and winery on the scene. And they've also just built and opened a new tasting room. So. I'm going to be doing that, and I urge people to do it as well. Uh, you don't you don't know that they're out there, but as soon as you Google it, there's literally dozens. And it's great, you know, something to do this summer as people are trying to get out and, you know, move about and rediscover their own communities. So that's a wonderful trip. Um, Amy, you know, you think, I've heard it all. There's nothing new we can do with pasta. And then a guy who is, was not a pasta maker, <laughs> comes up with one. So first, let's listen to Dan Pashman, who is the creator of the new Cascatelli pasta. I've come up with these three metrics by which I judge all pasta shapes. So forkability, which is how easy is it to get it on your fork and keep it there. Sauceability, how readily does sauce adhere. And tooth sinkability, which is how satisfying is it to sink your teeth into it. And A lot of pasta shapes are great at one or two of these three things, but very few nail all three. Now, I will say I am so susceptible to marketing. So the minute I followed his series, he has a podcast called Sporkful, uh, of Mm -hmm. his quest to come up with this new pasta shape because he was frustrated by the old ones. I searched to find where it was. It's at my local Whole Foods. Ran out and got it, tried it. It's pretty doggone good. It is really good. (laughs) You know, it's it's just got this perfect mix of ruffles and ridges and those are <laughs> there you know remember the commercials for yep. um, english muffins the nooks and crannies mm-hmm. i mean it, it's it's basically nooks and crannies where the sauce can sink in and merge and sort of be bound by the starch in the pasta so the shape of the pasta it's very easy to get with your fork um, and then all those little ridges is where the sauce kind of sinks in. And, and so when you, when you eat the pasta, I mean, you're just getting the perfect marriage of the sauce and the pasta as opposed, I mean, look, I love spaghetti, but that is, it can get, it can be tough to get the, you know, the sauce to really adhere to the spaghetti. Hang on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You yeah. like, you don't, it doesn't work with every sauce. It works with certain dishes. So I love this. And I love, I just, again, I love the nerdy, like, pursuit of the best possible way to do this food. And it was so popular that it it sold out. Yeah. Um, So they have a 12-week shipping. um, Right now, there's a 12-week wait to get if you want to order directly from the maker. Well, I stalked the people at Whole Foods until I came in, so that's how I got mine. (laughs) I'm not proud to say. Uh, One thing I will add, and I don't know if you've tried it, Jonathan, but um, for this, because it's so hearty a shape, if you put a too thin sauce, you don't get the full benefit. You really Mm, want a robust sauce because then you really get all of the, you know, sucking up of 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 the pasta shape itself. 
Well, this is fantastic. And I, and, and, and the, the, the simple genius of someone making a pasta, thinking about the sauce part, thinking about the fork part, thinking about the tooth part, good things are going to happen. I mean, look at us already. We're, we're, we're talking about how we're going to change what sauce we do to match up, not with this product, but with this thinking. Mm -hmm. which is projected and communicated through the product. It's totally, it's simple, it's simple genius, and it's it's awesome. Amy, after we eat our pasta, um, our sporkful cascatelli pasta with our robust sauce, we're going to need some ice cream. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> yes. Um, Yay! And there's a new kind, this New Zealand style that's uh, arrived on our shores. Yes, it is exciting. It's it's a really fun take on soft serve that does come from New Zealand. And a company called Far Out Ice Cream has um, did a little test run in Hull by the beach last summer. And now they are opening a permanent ice cream shop in Coolidge Corner. Um, and the ice cream is basically a blend of a, an, a vanilla ice cream base, a really good quality vanilla ice cream base with a lot of frozen fruit. So it's almost... I don't know the exact ratios, but it's maybe like two thirds, you know, it, it, it as much like half and half fruit and and ice cream, and um, so you get this creamy creamy mouthfeel, but also this you know really bright fruit. And the flavors include kookaberry, which which I only know from the song, <laughs> from the children's song, um, mango and blueberry. Um, they're very fruits, you know, it's very fruit focused ice cream, but really refreshing and kind of a healthier option for ice cream. So a question, how does it compare to what was, you know, the big craze for a long time, which I still very much in, enjoy as a Korean um, ice cream, which is really tart, like the pink berry kind of. Um, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this will not have that um, the yogurty tartness from the probiotics. The the acidity is just coming from the fruit itself. So it won't have the base acidity, but it will have the you know if you picture strawberries and cream or peaches and cream, it's that kind of a acidity and creaminess. And it's it's you can see little bits of fruit in the in in the soft serve. It looks great. And it's just fun, right? I mean, we we need fun new things. And I'm just thrilled to have some new food type to try. I am excited about it too. Jonathan, I don't have time for you to discuss this, but I'm determined to squeeze it in. The Ceriso market and what they're doing to bring food, wine, all together in a kind of communal way, which is exactly what we need now, I think, upon re-entry. Yeah, Ceriso Market in uh, Brookline Village is one of those, you know, making lemonade out of lemons stories. Um, Chef Nick Lizotto was about to open a restaurant. COVID hit. The whole deal fell through. He ended up with the awesome, awesome wine list of this awesome Italian restaurant. And now it's available retail in Brookline Village with his pastas. This place really is an ideal under the radar topic because this place is going to become a nexus for Italian wine lovers once people discover it. I'm thrilled to think about it and uh, enjoy it. I like the whole concept. <laughs> um, listen, I want to thank you both for joining me today. It's so nice to talk to you under happier circumstances. <laughs> it is. Isn't it? Great to talk to both of you. Thank you so much, Callie. 
Jonathan Alsop is the founder and executive director of the Boston Wine School and author of the Wine Lover's Devotional. Amy Traverso is the senior food editor at Yankee Magazine, co-host of GBH's Weekends with Yankee, and author of The Apple Lover's Cookbook. Well, that's it for this week's show. We're on the web at WGBH.org, News Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, and available for download wherever you get your podcasts. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubele and Angela Yang, and engineered by Dave Goodman. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. See you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 